Good morning, Table Church. Our scripture today is from the book of Genesis, first chapter, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Good morning, everybody. Kudos to you for coming to church on a holiday weekend. Extra points in heaven for you. Seriously, uh, it's great to have you here today. Um, by the way, uh, our, our ministry center lawn needs a little TLC. And so this Saturday at 9 o'clock, we're going to be getting together there uh, just to clean up the yard. And I hope that you will come help us. Many hands make light work. And so would you join us? Uh, just write yard cleanup on your connection card. If you were here last week, we wrote Tarzan. If that sounds more fun, you can write Tarzan. Because I said it looks like the movie set of Tarzan outside of our, of our ministry center right now. I'm pretty sure the neighbors are probably starting to murmur. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's be sure to get that looking good on Saturday. Look forward to seeing you there. So it's hard to believe. I've been a pastor now for 16 years, uh, which means I've had a lot of conversations with folks uh, come and talk to me about all sorts of things, and one of the privileges, of course, is to be able to kind of share your life with you and hopefully help discern what God is doing in your life. And um, if I were to articulate maybe one of the more common areas of dissatisfaction that I find people have, I would sum it up like this. A lot of people come to me and say, I hate my job. Like, a lot of people are not happy in their job. We don't always think of our work as a spiritual category. In fact, a lot of times we think of it as about the least spiritual part of our lives. But today I hope to, I hope to flip that around a little bit. Because not only is work a spiritual concern, but it has an impact on our spiritual lives that is nearly unrivaled. I mean, where do you spend more time than at, at work, right? In fact, you show me somebody who thrives in their job, and I'll show you somebody who probably thrives in a lot of areas of life. Show me somebody who feels ground down in their job, who hates their job. I'll show you somebody who probably feels rather miserable in a lot of areas of life. It just kind of has a way of working itself out into other areas of our lives for the obvious reason that we spend so much time there. So on this Labor Day weekend, I want to talk about work. And let me be clear, that doesn't simply apply to those of us who, who get a paycheck. Students, retirees, stay-at-home parents, we all have work to do. God made us for work, and yes, this is true even before sin entered the world. I'm afraid some of us are probably disappointed to hear this. Uh, work was there before the fall, and it'll be there in the new creation as well. Work is not part of the curse. It's not what happened. It did not enter the world when Adam and Eve ate that apple. It's, it's supposed to be there. It's always been there, and it will always be there. In fact, look at Genesis 2.15. This is before the fall. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? 
work it and take care of it. Now, working a garden is some of the hardest work there is. You can imagine Adam sweating, having to take breaks, working hard. Hard work is very much a part of God's design for creation. But what isn't part of God's design is toil. That's what came on the scene at the fall. Genesis 3.17 says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. This thing that God had given Adam, this work of tending the garden that was supposed to be life-giving, has now become something else. It's toil. Toil is when your work is against you, where it's no longer rewarding, it's a battle instead. And I think it's safe to say many people don't go to work every day, they go to toil. But here's the thing. Since toil is a result of the fall, it means it can be redeemed. It means that God can use our toil for his purposes. He can, as we sang earlier and prayed about earlier, he can turn it around, even transform it. Look, God can redeem your sin, which means he can also redeem your toil. He can take whatever work you're talking about here and he can use it for his glory and for his purposes. Now, I understand that there are those of us probably in this room who really do have miserable situations at work like just hor- horrible situations at work. And, and I accept that, and, and, and that's tough, but I'm talking to the majority of people who really just kind of bring a bad attitude to their work and make it kind of toilsome for themselves here. Look, the first step toward redeeming work is to understand what work is for. A proper understanding of work starts with the fact that we are made in what we call the image of God. It says it in our passage today that Cheryl read a minute ago. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read it again here. It's uh, starting in verse 26, Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now, the first thing to notice about this idea of being made in the image of God is that, you know, obviously it means that in some way we are like God. In some way we are like God. Now, the million dollar kind of theological question is, okay, well, in what precise way are we like God? And so theologians have wondered this and they have Um, you know, put forth different ideas. Maybe it's in our ability to reason. You know, that's something that the rest of creation doesn't seem to do, so perhaps it's in our ability. I've never seen like a ladybug do logic. So maybe that's where the, the, the image of God resides in us. Or maybe it's in our ability to love because animals don't seem to love. Although now that I have a dog, I'm like, I don't know. I think, I think there's some animals that can love, you know. Um, maybe we're not quite unique in that, but uh, maybe it's our, our, our superior intelligence from all the other animals. And, and I'm sure there's some truth to those things because all those things do reflect God. God does, God is love, you know. Uh, but, but the problem with that is what about like, what about a newborn baby? They don't do logic yet. Are they still God's image? Or, or what about somebody with special needs who doesn't have the IQ that maybe some of us have? Are they still in God's image? I think we'd all like to say, yes, they are, by virtue of being humans. They're, they're God's image. So then what is God's image then? Well, I think the text actually gives us a pretty good clue. 
When it, when it says this, it says, they will rule. They will rule. God says, I will create humanity and they will be like me. And the way in which they will be like me is that they will be royalty. They will rule. Okay, so listen, the image of God is not just something inside of us. It's not like an intrinsic quality within us. It is a royal position given to us. It is a position given to us. We are God's royal representatives on earth. I want to make clear just how important this is, okay? Ancient Israel, nation of Israel, also called the Hebrews, um, they had... Uh, they had neighbors. That just reminds me of a joke. What kind of coffee does Moses make? Was it? I don't know. I can't remember. I messed it up. <laughs> Hebrews. I don't know how it goes. <laughs> so anyway, the Hebrews, they had neighbors. And uh, they also worshipped you know, these neighbors, like around in the ancient Near East, right? These other nations, they, they worshipped their own gods, they had their own ideas of how humans were created. They had their own creation accounts, if you will. And um, uh, at the end of the service, somebody tell me the right way to do it or text it to me. Text me the joke and I'll, I'll say it. Um, <laughs> I can see people's gears are turning now. Uh, so anyway, they had their own idea of how humans were created, their own creation accounts. And it's interesting because they were written down and we can read them now and we can compare them to Genesis and see what else, see what else is going on there. And there's one Babylonian story that tells how the big gods enslaved the small gods. So like the strong gods enslaved the weak gods. Of course, in many ancient uh, nations, they had all, you know, a whole pantheon of gods. And, 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 the, and the weak gods were the slaves of the big gods, and they had to do all the work. They had to feed them and stuff like that. Well, the small gods, they got tired of this. They're like, hey, we're, we're not cool with this anymore. They start to revolt against the big gods. And what they do is they just like annoy them to death. It literally is just talking about how they're making noise. And so the big gods are like, okay, enough. You don't have to do the work anymore. We'll make somebody else to do the work. And so they create humans. And humans take the place, and they have to be the slaves of the gods. And they're digging canals and they're bringing food to the gods and all that stuff. So that's, that's, one, that's one creation account of how we arrived on the scene. There's another one, and it's actually a story of a war between, between some gods. Um, these two big gods go head to head and one god kills the other god and actually creates the universe out of her dead corpse. And it's disgusting. Like her skin becomes the sky and eyes are like rivers and out of her blood, he creates humans, and they become his slaves. That's nice, isn't it? So what's interesting to read these is that even though they, when I explain them, sound very different from Genesis, there is actually some similar language going on. It's almost like, almost like the writer of Genesis was riffing off of those other stories in a way, and, and saying, look, y'all have it so wrong. Your understanding of who God is, what God is like, and who we are and what we're for could not be more wrong. See, the Babylonians, in their view, creation is bloody, the gods are violent, humans are slaves who work for them. But for the nation of Israel, God brings peace out of chaos. There's no war, there's no bloodshed. There's one God who's all-powerful, who speaks into the chaos, speaks into the abyss and says, let there be light, and there's light. This God calls his creation good. He creates humanity not as his slaves, but at his, as his royal rep representatives, as those who will partner with him to rule over creation. It is an extension of himself. 
It could not be any more different. Look, the book of Genesis is the most progressive book ever written, just so you know. Like, it takes our understanding of humanity and of God light years ahead. And so here's the question. Do you have a Hebrew view of work or a Babylonian view of work? Or we could put it like this. Do you have a biblical view of work or a pagan view of work? Do you have, when you come to work, a sense of dignity? You're contributing to God's masterpiece that, that I have been called to represent God here in this, in this today? Or are you thinking, how long till Friday? How long till I can get out of this? How long until I can get a new job? Do you have a sense of dignity and opportunity and purpose? That's the Hebrew view of work. Or a Babylonian view of work is one of oppression and obligation. Uh, one of my, my favorite news stories from the past decade, um, a few years back, the British government made, a, made, made history by completing a $300 million research ship for like oceanic research. It's a, it's a vessel that's going to go expand our knowledge of marine life in unprecedented ways. And, uh, but they didn't have a name for it. And of course, the British are all about naming their boats. I don't know if you realize this. They, it's a big deal to them. And so they decided to do an online contest. The government said, we'll just let the people decide. And so there's an online contest. The name that won, the vote uh, won in a landslide. It had four times as many votes as the second best name. And it was the name Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> it's just so Monty Python, like such perfect British stuff. Now, the, 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 the British government, they did not go with Bodie McBoatface. They... They instead went with the much more refined-sounding Sir David Attenborough. That's what they named it, the Sir David Attenborough. Uh, they did, however, name one of the onboard robotic submarines, Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> so there's Bodie. There he is. I just think that's amazing. I love it. Like, that's a gift that that happened. We have, what we have here, though, is there's like an enormous difference between the perceived significance of something and the actual significance of something. Like, this was a big deal. $300 million building this thing. It's going to advance our knowledge of science and stuff like that. And the, the British citizens, they made it into a joke, a very funny one at that. But that's what we do with work. Like, we don't understand the significance of it. For us, it's just this throwaway thing, but it actually has enormous significance. In fact, Tim Keller points out that when God made reality, he built a rhythm into it that would bring harmony. And this rhythm involves six days of work, one day of rest. And he says this, work is so foundational to our makeup, in fact, that it is one of the few things we can take in significant doses without harm. That's crazy. Indeed, the Bible does not say we should work one day and rest six, or that work and rest should be balanced evenly, but directs us to the opposite ratio. Leisure and pleasure are great goods, but we can take only so much of them, it says. And so it seems important to me that God didn't do the opposite. He didn't say, okay, I want my people to rest six days, and then one day my people shall work. We wish maybe he did, but he did not do that. We were meant to work. It's not something we're supposed to avoid. Trying to avoid work, uh, boy, it, it's like avoiding food. It nourishes us. Our inability to see the importance of work has actually become a public health concern. A study done by the CDC in 2015 actually linked some mental health problems among emerging adults with unemployment. 
You see, and I think since COVID-19, I'd be willing to bet that those numbers, they've probably increased. The Bible shows us that work matters. It helps us flourish. The point of our work is to represent God as his royal image bearers. He, he, he put us in the garden, he put humans in the garden in order to work the garden, he says. And, and so what that means is that we are called to build civilization. When you go to work, you're working the garden. You're building civilization in a sense. You're partnering with God in this project. So two ways that we uh, represent God in work. Number one, through the quality of our work, we represent God. And number two, through the message that we bring in our work, we represent God. So I'm going to talk about both of those now. Number one, through the quality of our work. There's a classic verse in the Bible on work. It's Colossians 3.23. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters. So the point is that the quality of your work says something about how you view God. Okay. In other words, you can say this, work is worship. In your work, you're ascribing something to your creator, to your God. However, our passage that we already read in Genesis adds something to that. It's saying work is not just about me kind of, you know, showing God how much he means to me. It's not just this vertical thing. There's also a sense in which work, I am representing God to the world. You know, I am partnering with God in order to uh, kind of show the world who he is. It's going to, oh, he caught it. Amazing. Just throw it back. Just throw it back there. Man, that was like Spider-Man stuff there. Good job. Yes, where was I? This, is, this seems like a good time to pause and check my phone. Nobody. Oh, man. Okay. Huh. Let's look it up when you get home, I guess. All right, so what was I talking about? So our passage in Genesis shows us something more. Our work is our primary way that we represent God, okay? It's not just something that we do in order to give value and worship to God. It's also something we do to represent who God is. Like work, work is worship. It's also evangelism. Like it shows the world something true about God. So when God placed Adam in the garden to work it, uh, one of the first jobs that he gave him was actually a creative job. It, just as God is creator, we represent the fact that he's a creator as we create as well. Look what happens in Genesis 2. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So look, we are called to be creative just as God is creative. My favorite part of that verse is where it says, to see what he would call them. God just wants to see what Adam would call them. God could have named every one of the animals, but he wants to see what Adam will do. It brings God joy when Adam activates that part of himself where he gets to create, that part of himself that reflects something about the true creator. As we create, we are reflecting something about God, the creator. And by the way, God didn't stop creating on the sixth day. God didn't stop creating on the sixth day. He kept going. God continues to create even now. In fact, all of existence is every moment held, sustained in existence by the recreative and regenerative power of God. Not only that, but God is continually recreating us. He's making us new. He's sanctifying us and making us holy. God did not stop creating. He is a creator. The problem with this is that we often forget our God-given responsibility to be creators and we, just, we become something else. We become doers. You know the difference between a doer and a creator? A doer 
just tries to do well enough to not get fired, but a creator tries to do the next job better than the last. A doer just does it like they did before, but a creator tries to figure out new and better ways of doing things. Being a creator means that you work well. For a true creator, there's no good enough. God didn't get to day three. You know what he made on day three is he made plants on day three. He wasn't like, hey, I'm gonna stop with plants. That's good, I'm done. No, he kept going. And like I said, he's still creating today. Less than a week after I turned 14, my parents took me to Papa Murphy's so I could apply for a job. And uh, they asked if I could come in that weekend, and I did. That was my first job. And I hated it. It was awful. Um, I dreaded every moment. I was just working for a paycheck. But I had a friend named Josh, and Josh was the same age as me, he lived up the street from me, and Josh worked at Papa Murphy's as well. Now, he did all the same stuff, he made the same amount, but Josh loved it. He took pride in the pizzas that he made, he made it a point to know all the specials, he learned all the ins and outs of the business. I think that he probably could have been a manager of the store as a teenager. Like, he just knew it really well and was really good at it. Josh lived for the busy times when things were hopping and things were happening. I lived for the slow times where we could just stand around. And I've wondered sometimes, what was the difference between Josh and me? I mean, we did the exact same work, yet I thought it was pointless drudgery. He found something dignifying in it. You see, the difference is that Josh was a creator and I was just a doer. Josh was engaging something inside of him that God put there every time he made a pizza, every time he ran the cash register. I didn't think it was worthy of me, and so I didn't engage the creative part. I just tried to get by. I just watched the clock. I just tried to get to the end of the day. And you know what? When I did that, I think I insulted God. See, the point of our work is not only to do, but to create. To help God in, in creating a civilized world, and creating a world that is better to be in. That's hopefully what our work is doing. Look, when you create... You are expressing something of God's image in you. And look, you don't have to be a professional artist. You don't have to make paintings and sculptures in order to be a creator. You can do it making a pizza too. You know, I, I, my job, I'm happy that I get to be creative every week. Um, I get to write a sermon. And there's obviously some level of a creative element to that. And I just have determined I'm never going to stop trying to improve. I, it gets boring for me if I don't improve. And so I have you know, certain rules for myself. Like, I have to learn something new about God or about the Bible every time I write a sermon. That's something that I just try to hold myself to. If I'm not learning something, then what am I giving to you, you know? And, and I always want to get better at delivery as well. Get out of my notes a little bit more. Try to memorize it a little bit more. In fact, I'm going through like a, a preaching master class right now online just to try to get better at it. And that's what makes our, that's what makes our, our work so much more enjoyable is when we partner with God to grow in it to be creators and not doers. So we represent God through the quality of our work. And the second way we represent God in our work is through the message that we bring. Listen, whether you love or hate your job, I'm willing to bet that there is somebody there who is hurting or feeling isolated or feeling alone. I'm willing to bet that in your job there is someone who has questions about God, somebody who's carrying some heavy burdens. I would bet that in your job, there's somebody who would appreciate prayer and maybe even someone who would appreciate an invitation to church. But do you see it? 
Like, have you developed the spiritual eyes and ears to be attuned to that kind of thing? Do you notice these people? Have you developed the prayer life required to be able to, to know when God is moving in someone's life? Listen, um, your work is your own personal mission field. We often honor the missionaries that go to exotic places to bring the gospel. But we don't spend enough time realizing the fact that we're all missionaries, we're all called into a context. We all have a sphere of influence. In our discipleship pathway, we talk a lot about finding a person of peace. You've heard it said from here. When uh, Kelly spoke in July, she talked about it a little bit. The idea behind a person of peace is that, is that God has probably put somebody in your life who has these spiritual questions or sensitivities, if you will. And, and you know, maybe, maybe they've asked you to pray for them. Maybe they're just going through a difficult time. Maybe um, you've noticed them reading a spiritual book or something like that. Or maybe you guys just get in conversations about deep things. Whatever the case, that's a person that the Holy Spirit is working on. And so whenever, um, whenever you watch a TV show that takes place in medieval times and they want to conquer a city, they always go to the city gates and they get out the battering ram and they start like battering down the door of the city. That's the image of evangelism that many of us have. Like evangelism, sharing my faith, it's just like, you know, knocking down the walls of the city, like just pummeling somebody with my views winning an argument, whatever the case may be. We have like this kind of war or battle view of, of evangelism. And look, I don't think that's evangelism at all. I don't think that's the way it's, we're supposed to understand it at all. It's more like when you see somebody trying to climb over a wall and they're struggling to get over and they just need a little boost. Like that's the person that the Holy Spirit's working on. Start to learn to go the directions the Holy Spirit is working. Jesus even teaches us this. The whole person of peace thing comes from scripture. So there's a, there's a, there's a moment where Jesus sends his disciples out to have ministry in the village. And he, and he says, uh, as you go to the houses in the village, um, uh, if your peace rests in the house, then stay there and have ministry. But if your peace returns to you, and I don't know exactly what that means, but if your peace returns to you, then move on. Don't waste your time there, basically, is what Jesus is saying. In other words, like God is working in people's lives and it's not necessarily your job to try to like battery, you know, ram everybody into submission. It's to be cognizant of the people who God is already working on and go there and see what happens. The question is, how do you know? Like, have you prayed? Have you gained the spiritual attunement to sense it? Are you paying attention? Are your eyes open when it happens? When I was in Zambia this summer, uh, the staff at Poetis had us do this a few times where um, they call them treasure hunts. And it's where we spend time in prayer in the morning and just say, God, is there anyone or anything that you want me to talk to today? Anybody that you want to bring to my, my path that, that I should meet, that I should pray with, that I should talk to? And they said, literally, just pray and say, God, show me a face, give me a name, show me something like I mean, why not, right? And so we did that. And one, one morning, um, I don't know why, I saw a red hat in my, in my mind as I was praying. It almost was a Trump hat. Not quite a Trump hat, but close. I was like, okay, Zambia, I'm going to look for a red hat. Sure enough, there was a kid with a red hat. <laughs> and uh, he was actually a pastor's kid. 
he's a teenager. And um, I just ended up talking to him, said, hey, I don't know, I, I was praying this morning, I think, I think I'm supposed to talk to you today. And we just spent a little bit of time there sharing and getting to know each other. And I ended up praying over him and with him and we saw each other for the rest of the week and interacted several times after that. And I, I don't know what specifically the reason was that God told me to talk to him or wanted me to talk to him that day. Um, but I do know it was encouraging to him. I do know that it meant something to him. And so maybe it's just a matter of saying, God, who do you want me to talk to? Learning to know who that is and to have the courage to, and the trust to just say, hey, are you going through a, it looks like you're going through a hard time. Would you be all right if I, if I prayed for you? People rarely turn down prayer. And it can be an excellent opportunity to uh, kind of start a spiritual conversation with somebody. Listen, bottom line is that whatever job you have, this is your true work. It's joining God on his mission as his royal representative. You are a citizen of heaven before you're a citizen of Des Moines. That's job number one. And so if you want to learn more about the person of peace thing, uh, go to our resource page at our website, tablechurchdsm.org slash resources, and there's actually a whole bunch of stuff on there that you can take a look at. I think there's some really helpful things there for you. But the challenge is simply that. Who's your person of peace? Make work less about the drudgery. Make it more about mission, more about representing who God is, joining God in what he's already doing. Let's pray. Well, Lord, on this Labor Day, I, Labor Day weekend, I pray that um, as we go and hit the work week again on Tuesday, uh, or go back to whatever work it is, whether it's a quote-unquote job or something of a different nature, Lord, I ask that you would help us to see the dignity and the honor in it. Help us to know that you're working in it. Help us to know that it matters to you. Or even making pizzas is an opportunity to join you in being a creator. And so um, help us to realize too, just the spiritual nature of our work that Lord, we can't just bracket that out. We gotta bring you into that too. We spend most of our lives there. So help us to be better at that, I pray. We love you, Lord, in your name.